All right, we are in the fourth week of this series that we have entitled Game Changers. And the reason why we've entitled it this is because when we think about certain events in our life, you could often use that phrase to describe those events. Whether it be relationships, whether it be broken relationships, whether it be things that happen in our work, whether it be the the, a new child coming into our life, whether it be newly getting married, what, wh- whether it may even be a tragedy. Those types of events in our life we can describe as game changers because they often change how we view life or maybe even in the moment the course of our lives. But in the midst of those events, what we are looking is we are looking at significant promises in God's word that in the midst of those game-changing moments, as we look to these promises and have these promises to cling to in those moments, that they will also be opportunities to be game-changers in our spiritual lives. Because these six promises that we have looked at, are going to look at today, and will look at when we're concluding in this series, we'll, we will have looked at six, are promises that can change our lives. And I've had this flag up here, and if you're new with us this morning, you're probably wondering what this is. If you've been here, you know what, what this is. This flag, oftentimes in our minds when it's waved, symbolizes what? It symbolizes surrender, Right? But when this flag is waved, we don't think of surrender in terms of victory. We oftentimes think of surrender in terms of defeat. And maybe you're experiencing one of those game-changing moments in your life right now, and if you're honest, you would say, man, I want to wave the white flag because I'm feeling defeated. But what we're doing in this series is giving ourselves promises from God's Word, six specifically, though there's over 3,000 promises in God's Word but six specifically that will help us experience God's best in our life as we we do not make the choice to surrender to the circumstances, but to surrender to God's word, the one who has given those promises. And as we surrender to those promises, we will experience victory in our life because of the one who has one, W-O-N. We're looking at six specific promises in this series. The first one was the promise of salvation. After all, that's the most important promise that can change our lives. How can I have a relationship with a holy God and a home in heaven and knowing that I have been given the strength of the Holy Spirit to endure this life, to live for his honor and glory? We looked at the promise of salvation. Then we looked at the promise of restoration. And every week you've been given one of these cards, and if you didn't get one of these, you can grab it on the way out at the Welcome Center. These cards are for you so that you can have passages of Scripture that when you're wanting to doubt that you really are a believer, man, I can go to Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10 and remind myself of that. We looked at the promise of restoration that oftentimes when we think we've wandered too far from God and that he can't forgive whatever we've done, man, what do I do in that moment of crisis? What do I do in that game-changing moment? Well, I need to go to a passage of Scripture. And we looked at John 21. Last week we looked at the promise of direction. I don't know about you, but I sure need the Lord to make my path straight. What do I do when I'm in a situation where I'm like, God, I don't know whether to go to the right or to the left. What do I do in this situation? Well, we gave the promise of direction. 
So in that game-changing moment in your life where you're wondering what to do, you have a passage of Scripture that can shape that game-changing moment in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And this morning is no different. We're going to look at another passage of Scripture that is going to be a tremendous promise that can change your life. Whether you know this passage well or you've never heard it before. But before I look at that passage of Scripture, I want to introduce you to someone that I did not know before studying this passage of Scripture, but I came across this individual's story that I believe sets our passage up well this morning, and his name is Viktor Frankl. He was one of Europe's leading psychiatrists, but from 1942 to 1945, he endured imprisonment in Auschwitz and three other Nazi concentration camps. He saw what made the difference between the survivors and those that did not. And he says it wasn't a matter of physical health and strength. That wasn't the determining factor. But he says what made the difference between the living and the dead was hope. Hope. Something to live for beyond the barbed wire, he says. Something to look forward to. Something to go home to after the war. And he wrote in his book about his, uh, his time in Auschwitz, the book was entitled Man's Search for Meaning, and, and I don't know a lot about Viktor Frankl. I don't know if he was a follower of Jesus Christ or not, but I think it's significant what he said in his book. He says, the prisoner who had lost faith in the future, his future was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline. He became subject to mental and physical decay. Usually this happened quite, quite suddenly in the form of a crisis and the symptoms of which were familiar to the experienced camp inmate. Usually, he says, it began with the prisoner refusing one morning to get dressed and wash or to go out on the parade grounds. And he says, no entreaties, no blows, in other words, being hit, no threats had any effect. He just lay there. Hardly moving. If this crisis was brought about by an illness, he refused to be taken to the sick bay or do anything to help himself. He simply gave up. There he remained, lying there. Nothing bothered him anymore. Why? Because he lost hope. He says this, we won't survive without something to live for beyond the barbed wire of this life. We'll give up and just lie there in despair. And listen to me, in 19 years of ministry, I'm not naive enough to think that there aren't people in this room that you may even put yourself that that's where you are right now. But I want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, I am so glad that you're here. If that's you this morning, know that you were prayed for, that you would be here today. Because what I want to encourage you with, and more importantly, what God wants to encourage you with in his word, is that God has something greater for your life. So much greater. And he wants you to set your eyes on hope. But not hope in a person, not hope in a change of circumstance, but hope that is found 
in the person of Jesus Christ. He wants your hope to be found there. And he's provided for us this morning in this passage of Scripture a promise. A promise that can change your life. A promise that can change my life. And it is the promise to experience his strength so we can rise above the hurt. So we can rise above the despair. So we can rise above whatever present experience that we are encountering. So that we can rise up on eagles' wings. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40, and we're going to look at probably a familiar passage of Scripture to many of you, but we're going to look specifically at verses 27 through 31 this morning. And if you're taking notes this morning, here's the title of the message, The Promise of Strength. And so here at Salem Chapel, I I know we have many that are new with us, and you may be looking for a church home, or your family of those who dedicated their themselves uh, this morning on stage. But regardless of who you are, if you're new here, here's what I want you to understand. We here at Salem Chapel believe that when God's word is open, God's mouth is open. And so when we teach God's word, we teach it word by word, verse by verse. And though we're dealing with a series that's jumping around to different passages of scripture, we're still going to unpack those. And so in saying that, I think it's important that we understand the overall context of the book of Isaiah to better understand where we will find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 40. So Isaiah is a prophet. He's speaking to the kings of Israel in his time as a prophet, and really you can divide the book of Isaiah into two sections. Isaiah is a large book. It's 66 chapters. But you can divide Isaiah like this. Chapters 1 through 39 is Isaiah telling the people of Israel and the rulers of Israel that if they do not repent of their disobedience to what God has said to them and how they are to live their lives and how they are to worship him as the one true God, how they are to care for one another that is under their authority, that if they do not repent and they continue in disobedience, that judgment is coming. That's in chapters 1 through 39. And what Isaiah tells them is specifically that judgment will come through two nations. Number one, Assyria, and number two, Babylon. And unfortunately, Israel does not heed Isaiah's warnings that are really God's warning through the prophet Isaiah. And so in chapter 39, you have this significant event where Babylon comes in and conquers Israel, and the Israelis are put into exile, driven from their land. And what you need to understand is the land was the most precious thing to an Israelite. And it's a pretty dark time in chapter 39. But then you come to the second section of Isaiah in chapters 40 through 66. And in the midst of the darkness and in the midst of this despair and in the midst of thinking that all is lost, God is going to give hope. Because God is going to say through chapter 40, through chapter 66, in different ways, that there is going to come one who is going to do what Israel cannot do. And he is going to restore what Israel's disobedience would not allow to be restored. 
And so I say that because as we look at Isaiah 40, verses 27 through 31, we're going to look at one of the promises of hope that God gives through the prophet Isaiah in the midst of some of the darkest things that Israel could be going through. They're in exile. They are slaves to the Babylonians. All seems lost. And I say this context because I want to encourage you with something, that if you find yourself and it feels like you're living behind a wall of barbed wire, that your circumstances have you boxed in, that there's been a game changer event in your life that you were not expecting, and you are feeling like you don't have any hope, that you don't have any strength, that you, that you don't know what, what in the world you're going to do, I want to encourage you that this is a passage of Scripture, a promise that you need to memorize, that you need to cling to, that you need to recall to memory so that you can be reminded that God has greater things for you. And so as we read this passage of Scripture, here's the idea that I want us to get that really frames up this passage of Scripture, and then we're going to unpack it, is this. The Lord is the source of your strength. I want you to say that phrase with me. It's on your screen. Say it with me. You ready? Here we go. The Lord is the source of my strength. Now, I know we just prayed a few minutes ago, but knowing where many of us probably are, I want you just to take a moment. I'm just going to have a moment of silence, and I want you to ask this of the Lord. Lord, would you show me through your word how you desire me to have strength in what I'm going through right now. Just give you a moment to do that. Let's do that right now. Lord, I thank you for this passage of Scripture that we're going to unpack this morning. And Lord, what an amazing morning it's been. Such joy to see the children up here on this stage singing that you're the king of their heart and you're never going to let them down. But Lord, in even saying that, I know because I've been there, And maybe many are here this morning that they know that that's what they're supposed to say, that you'll never let them down. They're struggling with that right now. They're feeling boxed in behind figurative barbed wire, struggling to have hope. But God, I thank you that it's in those times that you do your greatest work. And so, Lord, for those that have come in here this morning and they've just experienced tremendous breakthrough, and they would, it's almost like I'm sure they want to stand up and they want to say, man, God, I'm so thankful for your strength. God, I thank you for those people in here this morning that have experienced that in these last few weeks or months. God, I'm sure there's others in here that are struggling, hurting, discouraged, and God, I know you want to speak through your word to them today, 
And there's another group of people in here that, Lord, we've probably all been here as well who are thinking, man, I'm strong enough, I'm talented enough, I have enough experience, I really don't need the Lord's strength. And God, I pray that you would show them that, Lord, you're the only source of strength. God, we don't need to pray that you'll speak because that's what you do when your word's open. God, we need to pray that we'll hear and we will be obedient to what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you three principles from Isaiah 27 through 31. Three principles that the Lord teaches you in order to understand that he is your only source of strength. And and let me just make sure that I'm clear on this. These are not three principles that, God, you're going to teach me this this week, and then the lesson's going to be learned. Because I'm here to tell you that the Lord has been teaching me this as long as I can remember. And he will continue to teach this in you and grow this in you until you are face-to-face with him one day in glory. This is going to be, these are principles that are going to be an ongoing learning process in your life. That God's going to grow you in deeper ways to understand. And the first one is found in verses 27 and 28. Can we jump into verse 27? Look at this question that the Israelites are posing to the Lord. Isaiah says this, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? That's what they're saying as they're in exile. Look at the response. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, and his understanding is unsearchable. Here's the first principle that the Lord is going to teach you in order to embrace that he is your only source of strength. Number one, the Lord's credentials are always greater than your circumstances. Always. Always. And these are going to be 100% statements, by the way. The Lord's credentials are always greater than my circumstances. I mean, in verse 27, I just explained to you the context of Isaiah. The Jewish people are feeling abandoned by God right now. They have been removed from the land that God has promised them. And I'm sure thoughts like this are behind what is said in verse 27. They're saying, man, the direction that my life has taken, like like it's gone completely opposite of of, of God, what you have promised, and it's, I might as well just be, it might as well just be over, or maybe they're saying this, man, God, the justice, the justice that's due me because of what's been done to me is escaping your notice, God. Unless we're too critical of the Israelites here in this passage of Scripture, haven't we in some shape or form uttered those same things to the Lord? I mean, let's be honest. We are in church, right? Haven't we all asked this? God, where are you? I need you right now. Just to let down your guard, I've asked that before. God, where are you right now? I don't feel like you're 
You're near right now. Where are you? I need you right now. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, now. Or maybe this. Man, God, you, I feel like you demand so much of my life. Like I'm to be engaged in your word. I mean, be praying. I'm, I need to be living my life for you in every aspect. I need to be obedient to you. I, I need to walk with you. But you don't seem to be lifting a finger in this situation that I'm encountering. And we'd probably be ashamed to say those things out loud. Some of you are like, did you have my house tapped this week? You know why I say these sentences? Because I've thought them. Yeah. I've thought them. Here's what I found about doubt when that happens, that there's two kinds of doubt. There's doubt to believe what God says. Like, God, I'm doubting this because of unforeseen circumstances that, are, that, I, that, are, that I'm experiencing. And so doubt creeps in. But even in that doubt, it still is open to hear what God has to say. And so there's that type of doubt. But here's a more dangerous doubt. There's a doubt that resists belief. Belief in who God is. Like even when we have good and sufficient reason, when God shows us something that's obvious that it can only be attributed to him, like even in those moments, we find ourselves saying, saying, nah, I still doubt it. I still don't want to believe that. And it's hard for us to hear what God is trying to say because we're figuratively have our fingers in our ears. And so these Jewish exiles seem to be floating somewhere between a struggling faith and a cynical defiance. And I don't know where your doubt finds you this morning. But I, once again, I wanna allow God's word because God's word is the power. God's word is the what does the work through the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 27 again. I don't know if maybe I'm just more inquisitive than the average person. Maybe you're like me. I'm thinking to myself when I'm studying this passage of Scripture, why in the world does God refer to Israel as Jacob and Israel? That's what I asked myself when I was reading this. Like, what's the significance of that? There has to be some significance when he says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? Is God being redundant here? What's the point? Here's the significance of that. If you think, take yourself back to Genesis chapter 32. Some of you may have never heard this story, so let me be brief. Jacob, who was, by the way, one of the most conniving people in the Old Testament, like, he's a guy that you wouldn't trust farther than you could throw him. And Jacob finds himself in an evening wrestling with the Lord, literally. The angel of the Lord is there, and, and, and Jacob is wrestling with him. Now, think about this. That's silly, right? Like, Jacob is going to say, I'm going to wrestle with the Lord who has an undefeated record and will always have an undefeated record. But nevertheless, Jacob says, I'm going to wrestle this match. And so they're wrestling all night. And it says that the angel of the Lord puts his hand on his thigh and he wounds Jacob. But Jacob won't let go of the Lord. He says, I, I want you to give me a blessing and then I'll let go. Now here's what's awesome. God in his grace, you know what he does? He gives Jacob a blessing and he changes his name from Jacob, the shyster, to Israel. He gives him a promise of hope. Now, here's what I love about that story. 
that God doesn't condemn Jacob for wrestling with him. He allows Jacob to wrestle with him all night. And in his grace, he gives Jacob a promise at the end of that wrestling. And the reason why Isaiah says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. God, where are you? You're absent. It's because he's reminding the children of Israel of their heritage. Listen to me. I'm allowing you to wrestle with me, but in the wrestling, I also want you to be reminded of the hope. Because after all, Israel is in this position because of their disobedience. But aren't you glad that God is faithful despite your unfaithfulness? And God is not put off when you wrestle with him. I've wrestled with the Lord all night before. And I'm sure you have as well. But it's in those moments of wrestling, if we will put our doubt aside, that God will always speak. And he'll speak hope. And he'll speak truth when we are listening for him to do so. See, everything in life hangs on this. Who God is. Everything. God knows that. Isaiah knows that. And look at how he describes the Lord. There is not a verse in the Bible that is more descriptive in one verse of the Lord's credentials than Isaiah 40, verse 28. That is why we are taking time to look at this promise. Because when I am wanting to believe that the circumstances are greater than the Lord's character or credentials, man, what's a verse that I can recall to my mind to remind me of what is truth? Isaiah 40, 28. Look at how he describes the Lord. He says, the Lord is everlasting. Did you catch how he, what name he uses of the Lord? Capital L-O-R-D. If you are here last week, what is that? That's Yahweh. That's the Tetragrammaton. That's the name the Lord uses as his signature to show you that this promise is something that you can trust. And he says that he is everlasting. What's the significance of that? The significance is this. So often we operate our time in this little sliver of time called the right now. This is where we live. We like to accuse our kids of living in the right now. Like if you tell your kids tomorrow we're going to Disney World, they're thinking we're getting in the car five minutes and headed there, right? Because why? They live in this little sliver of time called the right now. But don't judge your kids too hard because you know what? We do too. And so often what I'm experiencing this little sliver of right now in light of the greater amount of my time on this earth, it's in this little sliver of time where I'm squeezed the most. I'm going through a circumstance. I'm being squeezed. I feel like I'm in a juicer and Oftentimes, what comes out is not what we're proud of. And what I've found in my life is when I am defining everything about God in this literal sliver of time in the right now, it always results in me sinning in my life. Because sin, at the end of the day, is rooted in unbelief. 
And the reason why I choose to sin is because I find myself not trusting that what God says or who he is is actually reality. And the reason why I'm not believing him to be who he is and what he says he is is because I'm defining him by what? The little sliver of time called right now. But can I tell you something about God? Here's the significance. Isaiah says, the Lord is everlasting. He is not confined to time. So this little sliver of right now that I'm experiencing, and I don't want to minimize whatever we're going through this morning, I want you to understand that when it says the Lord is everlasting, the significance and awesomeness of that is that he exists before that happened, and he exists after that happened, and he is not bound by time. Which means that I can say today that God is never late, he's always on time. And his time is always the right time. So you think about it, you go to work tomorrow and you need to be there at 8 o'clock and you show up at 9 o'clock and you say to your boss, wait a minute, it's 8 o'clock to me. I'll say to you at the end of the day, how'd that work for you? Why? Because you're not the one who defines the time. And there's significance in the Lord is everlasting. He's greater than this little sliver of the right now. What else does it say? He is the creator of the ends of the earth. Here's the significance of that, that there's not a single square inch on this planet or this universe where God is not there. He's the creator, keyword, of the ends of the earth. You take out the ends of the earth and just put he's the creator of the earth and you lose substance to what's trying to be communicated. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. Anywhere life takes you, Babylonian exile to the Israelites, an empty hotel room, ICU, seeing at home in despair anywhere. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He never grows tired. He'll always be there for you. His grace and power are at work at all times. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. What else does it say? It says he does not grow, he does not faint or grow weary. You know what that reminds me? The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is always at work. Always. And we tire daily. I don't know what it is. But I can't seem to stay awake past 8.30 at night. It like happened all of a sudden like a week ago. And I'd like to blame it on jet lag, but it's been like over a week. It's like Lori's like, seriously, you fell asleep on the couch again? It's like as soon as I go horizontal, it's over. And I'm like waking up wide awake early in the morning. And I'm like, man, I'm too young for this. But we tire daily. We need nourishment. We hunger. I'm hungry right now. I've been hungry at the 9 a.m. service. I'm starving now. 
This is an interesting statistic. I'm not sure it's super uplifting, but we spend about a third of our lives asleep in bed. And then we're just recouping our strength, and then we die. But I emphasize that because so many of us are so tired. I'm not just saying physically, I'm saying emotionally, maybe even spiritually. We're so tired. But it says here that the Lord is always at work. And I think one of the dangers that we have is we take our inefficiencies and we take our limitations and we take our humanity and we put them on our concept of who God is. But what did I say the Lord is trying to teach us so that we understand that he is the only source of our strength, is that God's credentials are greater than my circumstances. God's not me and God's not you and praise be for that reality. He's accomplished 10,000 things before I even wake up. He's forever fresh. He's never tired. He's never saying, I didn't see that coming. That's too great for me. And some of you, you can't sleep because you're so worried and you're so overcome. And I want to encourage you, did you, Next time that happens, if it's tonight, I mean, you're starting to get to the point where you're like, I don't even look forward to the evening because I know I'm going to be awake. Maybe we start here. And you just say this passage of Scripture out loud. You say, Lord, I'm saying this out loud. I'm saying this to the demons that are plaguing me, that want me to believe something other than this. God, I am going to literally declare your credentials over my circumstances. I can tell you from experience that works. What else does it say? It says finally in verse 28, the Lord's understanding is unsearchable. Here's what's awesome about that. You know what that means? You can't figure God out. You're like, I know that already. No, but I mean, but in a good way. Like, God doesn't fit into my little finite cardboard box that I so often want to put him in. I can't put God in a box. And any time my theology of who God is can be put into my finite box, I am definitely off. Because my mind is not God's mind. My mind is sinful. God's mind is perfect. His understanding is unsearchable. Listen to me. This is so important. If you write one thing down, write this phrase down. We don't live Christian lives by explanations. We live them by promises. God has not called me to live this Christian life that God, you need to explain this to me. And God, you need to explain this to me. And God, I'm not gonna do it unless you explain it to me. No, 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 no. I don't live my Christian life by explanations. I live them by promises. And those promises 
can carry the weight of my doubt and they can carry the weight of my fear and they can carry the weight of my frustration. They can carry those. Why? Because I have a Lord who has the credentials by which I can trust him for who he is. And I can allow those credentials to preach to my present circumstances in that sliver of time called the right now. Here's the second principle, and it's found in verses 29 and 30. It says this, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Verse 30, even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Here's the second principle, the strength you need today, tomorrow, The strength you need is only sourced in the Lord and not yourself. Listen to me. I'm so thankful that God wants to get involved in the messiness of my life. The mess that I create because of my sin and the mess that's done to me by other people's sin. I'm so thankful God's not scared off by the messiness of life. Aren't you? That's what verse 29 is telling us. That God provides you with what you do not possess and I don't possess, power and strength. I mean, who are the faint? Anybody want to take a wild guess? Me, you. In fact, what I would encourage you to do, because you know this about me, and I'll say it if you're new with us, the greatest thing that you can do is to mark up your Bible. So let's do that right now. I want you where it says in verse 29, he gives power to the faint and to him above him write your name. Make it personal. He gives power to the faint and to Johnny who has no might, he increases strength. Because I can be weak in faith. I can be spiritual fatigued. I can be weak in courage. I can feel like quitting. But listen to me. It's in that moment that God, if I submit to him and am surrendered to him, will show me in a greater way that he is my only source of strength. And then he says in verse 30, listen to me, young men, even, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Here's what I've found in my life. Man, when I was in my 20s, I thought I was invincible. And we have people of all different ages in this room this morning, and the longer you live life, the more you realize what you don't know and what you can't do. And here Isaiah says, listen, even you young guys that think you can do everything and you young ladies who think you have all the strength all day long to do everything and you're thinking your your strength is sourced in you, there will come a day where the Lord will allow you to be brought to your knees in his grace, not because he's being some vengeful, vindictive God, because he wants you to grow in understanding your only source of strength is him. And here's the last thing, and it's found in verse 31. This is the verse that we know so well, right? It says this, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Now listen to me. This third principle, I wish it wasn't a principle, but it is. 
And here it is. The waiting is always where the Lord does his greatest work in you. And I wish that wasn't the case. But it's true. See, that word wait has the idea of to hope, to look to God for all that we need. It has the idea of hopeful waiting. Not waiting for something bad to happen, but waiting for God to intervene. Listen to me, I hate the word wait. And no, I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but I do. Because I so often equate waiting with doing nothing. But listen to me, in your walk with the Lord, waiting is the most active thing that you can do to test and strengthen your faith. Why? Because it's in the waiting that I do this, that I meditate on the Lord's character and what he says about himself. I don't know about you, but in the waiting is when my times with the Lord are the most substantive. Because as Psalm 23, 2 says that we looked at at the beginning of this year, he often makes me lie down. And what I found is in the waiting, man, that's when I get so much out of God's word if I'm surrendering to him and seeing him as my source of strength. And I'm going, it's like, Lord, I'm gonna concentrate on, on who you are. I'm gonna allow your credentials to speak to my circumstances. Lord, I'm gonna remind myself that you are where my strength comes from. Lord, I'm gonna remind myself that this waiting is not time wasted, but it is essential for me and my faith to grow. See, listen to me, so often, you know what you, you don't need? You don't need a quick fix. I know you would love it, I would love it too. But that's so often not what we need. You know what we need? A clearer and deeper vision of who our God is. And what does it say for those who wait? The Lord shall renew their strength. That word renew literally means to exchange. So when I'm waiting for the Lord and I'm meditating on his character and I'm praying to him and I'm seeking to glorify him day by day and focusing on this day that God has given me, when I'm living that way, here's what happens. The Lord makes an exchange. He exchanges my fear, my frustrations, my doubt, my anxiety, my despair, and he exchanges says, here, here, I'm strong enough to take that and I'm going to replace it with what? His strength. How does, how does he describe this renewal? You know how he describes it? He describes it, he will renew your strength so that you can mount up with wings like eagles. See, a bald eagle can have wings that are almost eight feet long, wide. And here's the awesome thing about those eagle's wings, they're eight feet wide, up to eight feet wide, but lay less than two pounds. I found that this week that eagles know how to climb high into the air without working too hard. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, Mel, the reason why those wings are so big is because he's got to get himself and flap those wings so hard to get up to the heights that he so, or she so often flies. But that's not the reality because it says, what I found out, is it says to rise really high into the air Eagles often hitch a ride on rising bubbles of air called thermals. See, once an eagle gets into a thermal, it can just spread its wings. 
And that thermal is the thing that lifts the eagle high to soar. You know what the Lord wants from you today? And tomorrow and the next day, regardless of your circumstance, good or difficult, is you as a child of God to just spread your wings out. And say, God, I'm going to allow your credentials to speak to my circumstances. I'm going to allow myself to understand in a greater way that you're my only source of strength. And God, in this season of waiting, I'm not going to fight against it. But I'm going to allow you to show me in greater ways who you are. And I'm just going to spread my wings. And what the Lord promises is that it's in those times that through the Spirit of God, He will give you what you need to soar. So that other people will look at you and say, man, the way that you're handling that, the way that you're enduring that, the way that you're reacting to that is so different than me, is so different than what I see in others. What is it? But he just doesn't say sore. He also says you'll run and not be weary and you'll walk and not faint. Because there's times in our life, man, where God is doing awesome things that we just want right. We want to enjoy those times. And then there's times in our life that just seem to be mundane. And I find that those are the hardest times because I can get complacent. I can start to think again that it's my strength that's doing this. And the Lord says he'll also give me strength to walk. When every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I know we've run a little long. but Man, this is such an important promise for us to understand. And I want to answer two questions that I hope you're asking. If you're not asking them, you need to be. And here they are. This question, how can we, how can I experience more of what Isaiah is offering? Man, I want this promise of strength, Lord. How do I experience it? And here's the first thing that you need to ask yourself. Right now, eyes closed, head bowed, so you can concentrate with the Lord on this. Number one, do I really believe that the strength that I need is sourced in the Lord? If you're like me, I needed to be on my face this week before the Lord confessing that I had gotten away from really, through my actions, believing that my source is only in the Lord. Because I can drift. Maybe that's you, and maybe that's what you need to do in this moment. And here's the second question you need to ask. Man, am I, will I submit all of my ways to him? God, I'm going to stretch out my wings. Because understand this, God will not give you power to live a half-hearted life with him. 